I'm sure you can go down a rabbit hole with like the things that people have done with games in terms of modding. Oh yeah, yeah, really. (laughs) (laughs) I bet, I bet. As an indie that still has to set their name with the first title, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, you you don't think about it in such a mysterious doesn't pay off for an indie developer, right? No, in mystery doesn't pay off. You just have to uh, show show your stuff. You know, you answered one of the questions that came to mind for me. I was thinking about playtesters and how developers kind of approach getting those, especially indie developers. Side quest accepted. You guys, your team started with modding, right? I don't know a lot about modding. I don't really know how to get into it. I don't know where you like... For me... Do you guys need like a dev kit to do a mod for a game? Is there like the HIO deal where they're like, they're the zip files and then you go into the back, you find the code and you go in through that aspect of it. Like what's square one for somebody who goes and does a mod for a game? There are basically two, two ways you can approach modding for a game. So, so I, I'm a RimWorld modder. Uh, so that's if you guys are familiar with that game, doesn't really matter. But there, uh, there are two ways you can mod. You can go through the definition files of the game, or uh, th- that's like that. Are, those are the files where the raw values of the game are stored and where you can add like images and uh, stuff like that. So that's yeah. like the simple, simplest version of modding. You can create your own definition files and you can say, okay, I want to define this new entity and it has mm-hmm. this image and it will look like this. It has this much HP, it uh, uh, has this speed. And those are all things you can just put in there and it will be loaded into the game and it will Mm. basically work. But if you do that, then the thing you defined won't have any custom behavior. It will be just something that has already been developed by the original creator and mm-hmm. won't have something custom in it. If you want to go a bit further, you can. You cannot really download the source code because it's mm-hmm. closed uh, for most games. Yeah. Uh, so you'll have to decompile it. That sounds really complicated, but basically you, you take the executable of the game and you just run a program over it and it will turn that, the binary stuff, it will mm-hmm. turn that into some in the program code that you that uh, that a programmer can read is every game able to be modded or is like there's certain titles you can't mod it's a bit difficult to answer that you you can mod mm-hmm. every game yeah. but just in different the ways essentially which you can do it that is uh, the, uh, the varies greatly and also how easy it is to do it and yeah. um and you'll need some way to distribute your mods as well if you you can always mod a game somehow mm-hmm. and then uh, distribute it on your own but then probably no one will download it or if if a creator really facilitates it then the mm-hmm. modding community will be much bigger and it will also be easier for people to create mods yeah i see so it, i know steam supports modding correct they have like the whole section where you can do mods and have people like interact with them yeah outside- they support it but it yeah the uh, developers will have to uh, to implement that into their game so they have to support um, the, is they have to provide steam with certain uh, hooks so that mm-hmm. people can actually upload their mods and, and 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 so there's a lot of work for the developers to make modding possible uh, mm-hmm. or at least easy to do yeah because I remember we had had our conversation prior to this interview then after that I saw I think it was like a TikTok or YouTube short it doesn't really matter 
it was a video about somebody who was modding Jedi Fallen Order and they were doing it so like the lightsabers would be much more realistic like how they are in the movies and stuff where they can like cut through the stormtroopers and like as I was watching the video I was like this is so cool but I was like A it's Star Wars so I'd imagine like that's got to be really risky to do something like that because I can't imagine they're okay with that like they copyright everything and then B there's got to be that's a huge huge deal to go in there and try to like rework that so for me i was trying to wrap my head around it and i was like i gotta talk to this guy about it because like you know this you know this back end of stuff like when you look at something like that how would that work like how would you approach that it's the same you you can always when you when you mod something you can always say the the rights remain uh, at the party which originally Mm. created it i'm just uh, doing this unofficially it's like a hobby project and Mm -hmm. most likely companies bigger companies won't bother to uh, unless you're making money with it Uh, if you're making money with it then things will become different and they will say hey what are you doing you're changing our product and uh doing that so that's like the legal part of it so yeah. if as long as you you're very clear that it's all unofficial and uh, you're mm-hmm. not making any money directly out of it, then it's all right. Mm-hmm. There are people that do make money this mm-hmm. way. What they'll do is they they create unofficial mods, mm-hmm. and they'll ask people, okay, can you donate money to me because I'm making all this cool stuff, I and see. there are okay. uh, people making uh, making a little living out of that so it's mm-hmm. it's actually possible and then you circumvent any legal stuff because you're not yeah. actually asking money for the for the product itself that you're making but they're just mm-hmm. supporting you because you're doing cool stuff I so see, that's a way to to go around that yeah um and then there's the technical aspect and that that really depends on the game uh, so mm-hmm. if it's really close source then your options will be more limited but there are always yeah libraries that help mm-hmm. you with with this so they allow you to inject your own code at certain uh, places um, and then you can just r- uh, develop as you were normally doing, but mm. you're just injecting your own code into the into the game. And people, if it's not supported unofficially, then you'll mm. just release that separately, and people will not down not play the original game, but a modified mm. version of it. And if it's if it's supported officially, then they can actually just play the regular game on Steam, and, and you will still hook in your in code there. into it. Yeah, I see. Okay. But that that really just requires official support. You cannot just uh, modify a game. Uh, yeah, because like the legal side of it is it, just so fascinating, and it, it's I'm sure it's hard to maneuver, and it's different for every game. But so with when you're modding a game, you're putting code or you're inserting code into the I don't know it's not the original source code you said you know you extract that, but you're putting code on top of code essentially. Is that easier than just developing a game, developing a game which you're doing right now? Or is it more difficult because you have to make sure it's working cohesively with the rest of rest of the title that's already there? Like, what's the difficulty um, level with that? It's both easier and harder. So mm-hmm. the, the what makes it easier is that you don't have to build the whole thing from the ground up, and you can mm-hmm. actually use uh, whatever the developer of that game has already created. So, if I wanted to find a new entity, then that that developer has already a whole framework for defining entities, uh, and you can just use that as a mother. So that saves you a ton of time, and it's r- really h- hard to realize how much time you actually save by doing that. So, so that that really helps. Uh, 
on the other hand, you, because you're kind of hooking into things, you, you cannot do things as cleanly as if you were just normally developing the, uh, the thing. It, it, it does have some technical limitations. It's a bit hard to explain without going very deep into technical stuff. Uh, but it's like um, uh, writing a book. If you if you have the original text, then you can mm. just write it as you want. Yeah. Uh, but if you if if you're adding stuff later and you don't or own the original book, you have to mm. add in snippets and yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. You you have to cut out pages and you have to you get more or something like that. So obviously these things like Unity and Unreal tools that people use to build games. When you're modding a game, is there something similar where you're using modding tools? I know back in like the 90s with modding, I heard like people use specific tools to mod specific games, but is that still a thing now? Like how does that work at this point? For an engine like Unity, normally mm -hmm. you have the Unity editor in which you, okay. a normal developer, uh, works and uh, offers a lot of tools, but as as a modder, you don't have that. You you mm -hmm. you basically have to write code directly. But there are uh, libraries that support you with doing this. For instance, mm -hmm. you have Harmony that makes it easy to inject your own code into into um, original code. And yeah. then there are, depending on the game, there are probably some other tool, helpful tools as well. So yeah, you do work with a tool set, uh, but it's different than the tool set that you use as a normal developer, yeah. I see. And you have you said you only modded for RimWorld, right? No other games or? Yeah, true, true. What had you, what drew you to doing modding as opposed to like game development or something else? Like what was your draw into that specific part of the gaming world? Basically, I saw that RimWorld supported mods and then I, yeah. I downloaded a couple of mods and uh, mm -hmm. I was really impressed what modders were doing. You're like, I'm going to make uh, my own. Yeah, and I, I, so I have a software engineering background, so uh, I can okay. program, I can do stuff like that. So I was just curious, how, how do people actually do this? Mm -hmm. And I just uh, went, yeah, I Googled a bit, found some, uh, some, uh, some documentation on it and just started mm -hmm. doing it. And I created a really, for me, it was a simple mod that uh, added the ability to the game that that uh, that the people there can shoot uh, while walking. So normally they would stand still and they would shoot. And I added the ability that they could do this while walking. Yeah. And that was uh, received really well because it was it completely changed the game. Um, I bet. Yeah. To some extent, it, it, it some people way. didn't like it, but other people did like it. So it, mm. uh, uh, lots of people downloaded that, and uh, so uh, that was like a week of work or something to to get from nothing to to that mod. Yeah. Uh, which wasn't a lot. So uh, uh, that really drew me into okay. So if I can add like this significant thing in like a week, what else can I do? And so, so that's how it started uh, rolling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Your whole team was modders, correct? Prior to doing this game, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we actually met through the modding community. So I had a couple mm -hmm. of popular mods, and at some point I thought, okay, I want to create a game, my own game now instead of mm -hmm. modding. Yeah. And then um, I just posted something on, um, I think, on Discord and. 
some other modders jumped in uh, later, yeah. So outside of Steam, what other platforms can you really push mods through? Like, or is Steam really the only one that fully accepts it and integrates it into their games? There are websites or forums where they post yeah. unofficial mods. But I if see, a okay. game is on Steam and it's officially supported, uh, it has modding supported through Steam, then then that's the, the preferred method. because That's like the most uh, mainstream way. Yeah, that's the mainstream way, yeah. I got but there you. are uh, definitely outside of Steam uh, for people that pirated mm. the game or that bought a version that is non-Steam. Yeah. Uh, uh, there are definitely uh, big databases of mods mm. or, or perhaps uh, mods that have content that's not appropriate for Steam, like sexual content or really violent content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there you. are big, big communities around that as well. Yeah, I'm sure you can go down a rabbit hole with like the things that people have done with games in terms of modding. Oh yeah, Whoa, yeah, really okay. bad <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I bet, I bet. Yeah, and we're not going to talk about that here. You know, that's that's for a different podcast episode. Um, yeah. But like, so there's a bunch of games out there that you can mod. I know like Doom was one of the OGs of like modding with games. For you personally, what do you think is like one of the most mod friendly games out there? Uh, I, you know, I know you've worked with RimWorld a lot, but like maybe outside of that, or you know, just in your opinion, what do you think? Apart from RimWorld, I haven't delved into modding that deeply, but mm-hmm. I can say that uh, Factorio, uh, mm-hmm. a game where you run your factory, uh, also has a big modding community and also supports it really well. I see. Um, so, so that would be, I think, a, a really good one. Um, Apart from that, I don't. I know I played a modded FTL. That's a game where you run a ship, uh, but there it wasn't really supported. There it was more Mm. done unofficially, and there they have some great mods as well. But so yeah, even if it's not supported well, a a big community community can thrive around it. Yeah, but. Do you think like larger scale devs as a dev team, when you see people modding out your game, is that something that's like? people are excited to see it or do you think developers more like frown on that side of things like what do you where do you think larger AAAs fall with that at i think in it there, there's there, there has been like a turning point there there has mm. been a moment where they thought like oh what are these these people doing with our game uh but at some point i think games started embracing it a bit more mm. uh, because people are basically putting out free content for your game yeah and they're basically making the life um, the, the life cycle of your product much longer. Due to modding, people have like thousands of hours in RimWorld. They, 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 maybe they would have, if they're really fan of the game, they would have reached that as well. But modding made it a lot easier because they, if they get bored with the game, they just download uh, a bunch of uh, new mods and That's the true. game is like yeah. fresh again. And just having like an active player base is such a good incentive for developers that it's mm. totally worth yeah, having yeah. a modern community. It's just it's it's only helps. So with that in mind, you coming from modding into game development, right? You're making your own game now. Do you think that is a good place to start as a developer, transferring those skill sets into what you're doing now? Or do you think it would have been easier just to come from, you said you had that like engineering coding background, just going from that directly into game development? Like, do you think Clean Slate or this is better? Uh, It's a bit double-edged, I think. Uh, So it helps immensely getting excited for game development. If And it Mm. also, modding also helped me realize that I can actually develop... um, 
parts of games or uh, that they can actually do stuff that really means something. So it really helps building confidence um, into game development yeah. and also sets up a good base, but it also can, can um, be a bit deceiving in a sense that if you're creating a mod, you can sometimes do stuff really quickly because uh, mm. a previous developer has already done like a ton of stuff to make things easy. And then I you see. start with a completely clean slate with on your own game. And then you realize all the stuff that you were using was it has had like lots of hard work from the original mm. developer in, put into it. Yeah. And it might be hard to realize that. So for me, it was definitely going from modding to creating an actual game from the ground up was like mm -hmm. a big difficulty curve. And I, I, see. I, I, due to the modding, I maybe jumped in it too, too uh, easily or mm -hmm. without too much the stuff. The expectation was I a little thought, different. Yeah. I see. So uh, I think in, in when modding, I could get significant stuff done within a week or two or maybe a month or something yeah. like that and now i have to work really hard for like a year and i still don't have a lot a, a lot to show after that and uh, only after three years uh, i think i'm all no not not three years i'm working on for two and a half years on this game now now yeah. we're actually really happy with what we created but that's like a completely different scale of yeah. uh creating a mod it can be a bit deceiving if you come from mods, get stuff done quickly, and then and you have to do it yourself and you see, wow, this is so much work. The way you describe it almost makes me feel, comparison-wise, would be like a developer coming from game jams into full game development, right? Because like it's a short period of time, you're cranking out a bunch of content, similar, it sounds like, to modding. And then you have that result that you can see, like that tangible result. And you're like, okay, this this gives me confidence. This makes me feel like I can do it. And then you go into a full game. And it's a little bit different. I feel like maybe jams are a little bit more geared to it because you're practicing the physical skills that of creating that game. But it's much yeah. larger when you're creating it. So like, you have to kind of rein in the expectations and realize it's going to take time, which I think for a lot of people that that's a struggle because they, like, they want it and they want it now. Like You have that idea and you just want to push it out. So... But two and a half years is a very long time to create a game. So when you guys started to now, there had to be like, you know, there was a, I'd imagine there was quite a bit of changes to this game. There was quite a bit of overhauling to this game. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about the challenges there as you like started to where you are now. Yeah. So uh, when we started, we had the idea, okay, we're going for this. And then mm -hmm. uh, within a year or so, we'll, we'll reach early access and now yeah. we'll go continue with it in uh, hindsight that was not super realistic mm -hmm. uh, I think very few games make it uh, in early access within a year that's that's like super fast there are games that do it but they have like well-developed studios behind them or mm -hmm. um, or they're really small games and for us the scope of the game just grew as we we're working on it because you get mm. excited about stuff you see yep. okay this is gonna, gonna be something mm. and then you think okay we're gonna add this or we're gonna add that and then it kind of grows in scope and it grows beyond what you originally planned yeah so that's one thing uh then the other thing is uh we had a kickstarter campaign uh because 
we kind of needed funding to get s uh, things rolling. We needed mm. uh, to hire people for sound. We also just need to pay our rents if we're working full time on, on this. So yeah. we had to raise some funds. But to do this, uh, you actually need to show something that's really cool and looks mm. cool as well. So yeah. your first goal when uh, for such a campaign is actually working on the stuff that you can show and not the stuff that's behind the scenes and has to be done. So you may end up um, going a bit too quickly with some things mm -hmm. and then later you run into issues because of that. So you basically have to redo a lot of stuff and you have to yeah. make sure that everything works. But yeah, it, it, it is a valid approach because if we didn't go for the visual stuff quickly mm -hmm. at the beginning, we wouldn't have made the Kickstarter at that point and we wouldn't have been funded. So it's always a race. Ideally, you would just sit down for two years and work on it, not worrying about anything else and working on it from the ground up. So after one year, you don't, you practically have nothing to show for, but you have this great engine on which, or not really engine, or a great platform on which you can create your game. Yeah. And then after two years, you, you, you reach a state where it's actually showable, but in reality, this might not be feasible because you just run out of money. <laughs> so- That is a great point, yeah. With that, I mean, so the way you approached your Kickstarter, right? Because Kickstarters and crowdfunding is so crucial to a lot of indie developers and how they function and how they get to the finish line. In your mind, with your team, what, I mean, looking back with that hindsight, now that you've been through it, you know how it goes and you know how it unfolded, what is kind of the best approach for a developer when they're getting ready for something like that, when they're prepping for it? How do you approach it in terms of your audience and giving it to them and promoting it to them? And then just for you guys, I mean, like you'd mentioned, like a lot of it is just smoke and mirrors where you're trying to create something for people to see when in reality, you don't really quite have your game to that point yet. So kind of walk me through how you guys approach that and looking back how you would approach that moving forward. Yeah, so my advice to someone who starts with with something like this is to mm -hmm. really uh, start with the small scope uh, of your project. Really look at your financial situ situation and think, uh, okay, how, how much can I put into this? How many years? Mm -hmm. if, you, if you estimate one year, then do it times three at least. Uh, yeah. So, if you put your scope a scope on your game uh, for one year, then okay, it's gonna be three. Do I have like enough fin financial support to to go mm. for this, or maybe should I downscope my project so that it does match my situation? So I would really advise to if you just get started, just go for a project that's like one or two months or so, and then it gets if it gets out of hand, it will get into half a year or maybe a year, but then it's still yeah. quite feasible. Uh, that, that would help and that would also help with setting up any funding or any Kickstarter because then you can if the scope is pretty small then you can also just maybe you don't even need to get the Kickstarter to get it rolling or to really down scope and if you have like already a big backing uh, already had created a couple of games then yeah. you can scope up a bit but that's true yeah, that would definitely help for people I think so 
Crowdfunding-wise, Kickstarter is like the go-to, right? There's not a lot of other places that game devs can really find that support in that way. In your mind, have, is there other ways that developers can do crowdfunding or fund their games? I mean, I know there's like grant programs, government programs, depending on the country you are in, but that you can lean into. But just outside of those two ways, there's nothing that comes to mind for me that really is effective and as that works as well as those two options really is there anything that comes to mind for you yeah so there is another option that's that you don't go indie that you just uh team up with a publisher mm, i see and they will fund you um but for that I feel to like reach you lose that, a lot of creative on that side right yeah that's one thing although some mm. publishers are really uh relaxed with that but yeah. the other aspect is um that you do have to share a lot of profit or you have to give something back and that might be worth it for some people but we're all Mm -hmm. already a team of three we're already sharing uh profits and we already have uh, we're already have something like a name in the modern community especially Mm -hmm. our artist oscar uh, who's really big in the rimworld community Uh, so that helps reaching an audience as well so if you if you go for a publisher i wouldn't just do it for funding but also to reach an audience but it helps with funding as well um but yeah you have to give up something uh, in return as well yeah i I would imagine a lot of developers probably shy away from that if they want to like keep the vision they have in mind and the profits yeah yeah the alternative is getting a crowdfunding campaign uh, going and that can really help with uh, mm. keeping all the creativity to yeah. yourself and uh, making decisions um, but at some point even if you have a crowdfunding that does well you still have some restrictions you have at some point you'll still run out of money um, mm, yeah. so you can say okay this annoying publisher is telling me to release that this title at some point but yeah. Uh, real life is also dictating that so even if you have a crowdfunding and you're fully independent you cannot just uh, infinitely live out of nothing just keep going going, I feel like with crowdfunding too or kickstarters there's also like that double edged sword where people people are helping you fund your game or they're helping you by funding your game and at the end of the day as you progress with that game you also have that like expectation on your back at that point because like they're funding the game because they expect the game to be like a certain thing or something along that line so it's almost like it's a give and take there where maybe you do crowdfund it but then at the end of the day you have even more pressure to kind of deliver on that end as well i'd imagine that's kind of in the back of every developer's mind when they do that which is yeah definitely uh yeah it that it, that does make things hard because mm. if you think okay well, we're gonna need another year for this yeah. uh something like a big decision like that mm. <laughs> you cannot just make that decision anymore because you have a group of people waiting for your game to be published yeah, yeah, yeah. and they have to agree with with your decision so you kind of lose some independence as well because mm. people just gave a lot of money and you feel you, you need to re- do something in yeah. return and that they have they i mean they they're fully ru- right to do to to expect that mm. um so it does but on the other hand it does also kind of help um mm. to have that pressure it's a good incentive and it's also nice to just see that people are really waiting for the uh for mm. what you're working on that also really motivates uh you to 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 get it done and being a developer is really independent work so you don't have a boss waiting for you around 
So it's you are the boss. It really helps. <laughs> yeah, you're the boss yourself. Uh, but it really helps to get something, someone to mo- motivate you, and that could be a community that's waiting for your game. So that's yeah. pressure, but it's also a blessing at the same time. Yeah, I mean that's a great point. I think, and it's built in marketing as well because you're reaching an audience already, and they have that expectation, which is always nice to see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and also um, for testing, it also helps to to have a big community that can play the game already and g- give feedback. And we've also seen mm-hmm. a lot of feedback coming from from our Kickstarter backers and our Patreon backers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious with a game where you push it out through Kickstarter, people have those expectations. People see your game, they see different videos of it, whatever you know, gameplays, things of that nature. Do you, as a developer, naturally try to undersell the expectations so when the release comes out they aren't like sky high or how do you do you even like worry about something like that how does that approach impact how you showcase your game and show like different gameplay elements and what you can do and different skills you can like you know unlock and things like that in the game like how does that impact how you showcase the game as you're creating it yeah for for us the approach is just to be as open as possible about everything mm-hmm. uh, yeah. so we just if we have a playable version of the game that uh, mm-hmm. internally then we just share it with the community and they can already play around with it so that way they just know what they're getting and is, yeah. if that's not enough then they can always decide that so we're just trying to like be as transparent um, as possible and let the rest take care yeah. of itself essentially so yeah. the, yeah, so the main purpose of uh, updating our community right now is is just to show them what we have and they should be excited about it. We cannot we cannot influence them into being excited. Yeah, yeah. So we're just trying to do that. And at some point we'll hope that they yeah, they they already uh, build up the vi- uh, the hype themselves and mm-hmm. it will have to go naturally. We cannot force anyone to like the game. <laughs> Even that, if I mean, we yeah, want it, that's true. You can't. No, I, and that is. I mean, that's the healthiest approach. That's a good. That's a. I mean, that's a good approach. Uh, the only reason yeah. I think of that is because I see all these stories right now about the Starfield. Starfield is getting close to its release, right? And a lot of people are saying, even though the game is like there's buzz everywhere about it, people are talking about it. Is this massive title, both like on the development side in terms of playability and just the hype side? So both sides of this game are very, very much hyped up at this point. But then. At the same time, it's this weird dynamic because you haven't really heard too much about this game, right? There's a lot of questions about it. People are like, a lot of people have been saying, you know, there's there's not enough marketing. Xbox has been way underselling it on the marketing side. And then there are other people that say, you know, that's by design. They're trying not to hype up expectations. So when it releases, people aren't let down. So like for me personally, the thought comes to mind, do other developers, do indie developers think about that? You know, things of that nature. It's just, and again, it's AAA, it's a different animal, and it's probably one of the biggest titles that's going to release until GTA 6, maybe, who knows. But, like, so for me, I don't know, it's just one of those interesting dynamics that, like, that player-developer kind of deal. I don't know, it's it's interesting to look at. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, I don't don't know how how they're approaching that. Uh, Mm -hmm. It could be, indeed, that they're just not showing too much to Mm -hmm. let the hype build up by itself, but I think... As an indie that still has to set their name with the first title, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you you don't think about it in such a mysterious you, 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 doesn't pay off for an indie developer, right? No, in mystery doesn't pay off. You just have to uh, show show your stuff, and even from uh, that is quite 
difficult because you have stuff to do, uh, so, so much stuff to do. Um, and we're trying to do that, but uh, yeah, it's just difficult uh, to, to get all the, all the balls rolling, <laughs> so the development uh, and everything together. Yeah. Uh, so all we can do is just be honest about their game, get people excited uh, about what they're seeing um, and just share it as much as possible. Yeah. You know, you answered one of the questions that came to mind for me. I was thinking about playtesters and how developers kind of approach getting those, especially indie developers, because it's not something that, you know, it's just inherently part of what they can do, like the assets they have available. And you had mentioned you get those through like your Kickstarters and things like that. That's a great point. I never thought about that. It's the perfect place to tap into that audience. That's a smart idea. Yeah, it, it definitely helps. It, it's uh, like a big group of people that can just, that are already excited about the game. That mm -hmm. does make them perhaps because they're we're already excited because they they bought the game on kickstarter it could maybe hide some negative feedback depending mm -hmm. on the people themselves perhaps they're really uh, um they don't mind saying anything negative but it does definitely help just uh, mm. also just for the barks um it's we cannot play the game for 40 hours a week because then we don't have any time left True. to work yeah, so yeah. it's really good to see some people actually picking it up and um, mm -hmm. letting them know about how things are going. Definitely helps with getting the quality of the game uh, mm -hmm. to the point where it needs to be. So with that in mind, talk to me about the game, right? Talk to me about the gameplay, the art style, the story, the characters, all that. Let's, let's dive into that a little bit. So our game is called Cursed Crew. It's basically a game where you, you're the captain on a... On a like 17th, 18th century, the, the, the period isn't really defined exactly. Uh, so a 17th, 18th century sailing ship and you'll have to make sure that your crew stays alive and you're really playing as the captain. So you're, you're ordering around your crew, uh, you're making sure that there's enough food on your ship, uh, that there's enough ammunition and then you just journey across the sea and try to make it as far as possible and you encounter a different dangers like enemy ships. Later, we want to add creatures as well that you can encounter. We're still working on that. And bosses at, uh, at the end. So uh, you can encounter like a big ghost ship. And part of it is failing as well. So you won't make the end uh, every time. It's, it's really about um, learning from your mistakes, trying again. So it's within that sense, it's a bit in the roguelike tier. A genre, uh, but it's not a really die-hard roguelike in that sense. Mm -hmm. It's more survival roguelike, captain yeah. simulator. If you can, uh, a captain simulator sounds fun. Uh, oh yeah, so the art style—it's all hand-drawn art. Yeah. So it really looks as if you're looking at uh, at like a, a painting or something like that, but then alive and. It's a bit in the style of Tim Burton. Uh, I think Pirates is from Tim Burton, uh, yep. Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, but also lots of other movies. Maybe Nightmare, oh, yeah, a, Nightmare Before Christmas, Pet Nightmare Cemetery. Before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, those yep. those are good yep, examples. Yep. Yeah, it kind of leans into that art style. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's also mention another very clear inspiration, and that's Don't Starve. Mm, okay. uh, which kind of brought that the Tim Burton art style to the gaming um, uh, world. We thought that's such a great move and it looks so great and we tried to expand on that. Um, so we're heavily inspired by that as well. When I looked at your game, 
The first thing I noticed was that it's a fixed camera, which is very interesting for the type of game this is, right? And I would imagine as a developer, it creates a lot of challenges when you're creating this. So talk to me about that decision, why you decided to go that route, and kind of the coherent challenges that you faced as you kind of approached that. Yeah, so you mean the camera is like looking at at the game from one angle and the perspective mm. is in the art. So that's really, uh, just to make it clear, all the art pieces like the ships are drawn uh, and, and they have this forced perspective in, on it. So that means that you cannot turn the camera because then the the art will, will not look good. That does make it quite hard uh, mm -hmm. because if you have a ship simulator, you maybe want the ships to to uh, turn or uh, to, to make turns or maybe want to look at them from another angle or mm. whatever. And that's just not possible because it's all one forced perspective. It's mm -hmm. You cannot just, it's not 3D or whatever. It's all 2D from a forced perspective, so you cannot turn. Yeah. Um, and they, that means you have to make a lot of decisions on how you're gonna do ship movement, for instance. Mm -hmm. So we decided to go with, it's a bit hard to explain without showing it, but we decided to go for an approach where you would always look at this, this, the ship from the side, but you still have a mini-map on which you can see the ships move. And they basically forced into, if they, if they, they're both on the screen if you can both see them mm -hmm. then they don't have any angle on them then they're always like sailing next to each other uh, so we kind of solved it that way it might look a bit unnatural at first but at some point it's part of games that you have certain restrictions and yeah, yeah, yeah. if you have a side scroller then you know you cannot move in certain directions if you have other 2D games, there are always restrictions to what you can do. So yeah. um, that's kind of part of the deal. So we, we decided for from an aesthetic point of view to go for this approach where you see everything from the side. Uh, but that does mean like we have a lot of restrictions on how, we, how the ships can move. But we kind of roll with that naturally. It, it also helps a bit with creativity if there are some restrictions on what you're doing. Also, if you look at music, for instance, if you uh, if you look at the piano, for instance, that, that has like a set, uh, a set group of keys and it's all lined up in a certain way and that also offers restrictions to what you can do uh, yeah. as a pianist. But that completely created a, a musical genre uh, or at least the whole direction of music. And if we didn't have the piano in that form, but just an instrument with all the notes on it. I love it, I love it. Um, <laughs> so with this game specifically, did you come up with the art style first or did you come up with the story first or did they both kind of merit each other together and then you, you kind of just went with it? What was that thought process while you were brainstorming this game initially? It kind of started with experimenting Actually, the first attempt was a completely different game. It was yeah. a cell simula simulator, like um, biological cells mm -hmm. that would, um, and you would design your own cell, and then mm -hmm. that would, that would uh, try, uh, would need to survive in a hostile world. Yeah. Uh, at some point, I ran into some limitations with this idea, and I 
changed it towards a game where you would have a spaceship. But then I figured out, oh, there are already lots of games that do this. Uh, mm. Design your own spaceship and try to survive with that. Yeah. And then we can move towards naval ships. I see. Um, so it kind of evolved into that. And then from that point on, we kind of looked for an art style. And I played Don't Starve. Um, Oscar has actually modded Don't Starve. So it's mm. kind of, yeah, from that point, we were yeah really inspired. And let we thought, okay, let's do a completely hand-drawn style and go for that. With the art style you guys have, and I've heard developers talk about like the hand-drawn art style and then bringing that into the game. What, from a technical side of things, how do you approach that in a functional way that doesn't take up, you know, an immense amount of time where you're creating like a frame by frame kind of ordeal? Like, how do you take that as a hand drawn piece and then animate it into a character that you can play in that game? How does that technically work for you? Yeah, that's that's an inter- interesting question. There are two approaches that's indeed drawing them frame by frame at the characters and yeah. doing all, all the hard work. That's a great approach, but really time consuming. Mm-hmm. And we do, we basically don't have the manpower for that. Our, uh, our characters are um, animated in a different way. It's something that's supported by Unity as well. So you take a sprite of a character, so uh, an, an image of a character, and then you define where the bones of that character are. Yeah. Uh, so literally bones. So, so you draw them in the Unity Inspector, and then uh, uh, with some coding and uh, unit, Unity supports this quite direct, directly as well. You can uh, move around these bones, and it will actually transform the the image of the character. And we do that for a couple of orientations. The character can orient towards you, to the east, to the west, and to uh, you can see the back of the character. And then by moving around these bones, we can actually animate them. So the, the, we don't draw them frame by frame. They, we yeah. actually bend and uh, the images. <laughs> That's actually what you're doing. I see. And then you just map them to specific controls. They react based off of those. Yeah. So you, you, you define certain animations this way. Mm-hmm. And then you play the animation when someone is moving, you play the move animation and yeah, everything like that. It does have some restrictions because you cannot just bend infinitely and you you, you cannot just do everything, but you yeah. can actually create quite cool animations with just bending and moving and resizing as well. That's really important. So if a character jumps, what you would do is you would actually squeeze the character a bit. So mm-hmm. you literally squeeze the image a bit and yeah. then you stretch it and you move it in the air. And then you make sure that the limbs of the character move around a bit. You can do that with those bones and yeah. you have a nice jump animation. Yeah, it works like that. That's awesome, okay. From that side of things, technically, what was the most time-consuming aspect of this game? Was it that character animation? Was it like you know combat animation? Was it just the simulator? Like you mentioned, the captain simulator. Like, what was the most technically demanding aspect of this game for you guys? Okay, so multiple things. Uh, one is making sure that the that the game state is already always somehow you can somehow define every object in the game. That's something really abstract. But that's something that you need to do as a developer as well. You need to make yeah. sure that you can write some XML code and that 
will actually translate into an, a character into the game. There's a lot of code that that goes that makes that possible. So defining the objects in the game, the, the whole structure around that, and also being able to save them is is a big technical challenge. Yeah. Then the other one is I think. Um, the art restrictions that we have so we we have like uh, the forced perspective mm-hmm. and coming up with a way to actually work around with that uh, it's also one of was a big technical challenge as well a lot of developers will talk about like creating the game so it can run on multiple different operating systems where it's not like bogging down it's not running slow on one because it's just it's so demanding because the file sizes are so big and it's trying to render so much so they talk about like trying to create it and condense it how do you go about approaching that for you guys specifically with this game like yeah one thing that helped me a bit is that uh, in my education as software engineer i was actually specialized into optimizing performance uh, so I have a good technical background on that mm-hmm. and that kind of puts a mindset into me that everything that I do I think okay what is this going to do with performance how quickly will this run how many yeah. uh, cycles will the computer need to do this uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, forced an awareness and I think that's really important and whenever you do something you have to think what does this do with performance and you cannot just create stuff and not think about it because at some point your whole system will just bog down and it will just not uh, it will just not work you can't have too much going on all at once you need to focus on key performance things yeah okay yeah just uh, whenever you do something you have to think about it uh, mm-hmm. even the simplest the simplest of things yeah uh, it, it's really important yeah there's so many layers from a technical standpoint to games i, I think that a lot of people for me specifically as somebody who's more on the marketing side i do some coding but i'll be completely honest i'm not you know uh, i'm nowhere close to game dev dev coding it's something that is very very much i think on the back of a lot of people's minds and there's just so much that goes into it and it's fascinating when you really dig into like you know the nuts and bolts of development and see how it works and how you approach it like i mean there's so much and then you're just you're playing it and you're just you don't think about it at all but it's it's really something that is so technical and so hard to like unravel when you're really looking at each of those individual aspects of the game yeah even if you have a technical background like me and you you look at this for the first time you kind of underestimate the amount of work that goes on into a, a game even a simple game, even uh, like like the simplest of games that you can find for like the simple mobile apps that look mm-hmm. really silly and that yeah. even the simplest of games will probably have months of work into it. It's not something that you just click together and do. And the bigger titles that people are used playing have like mm-hmm. many, many years of work. Yeah, and you just uh, sum all the developers together and just some all the work time uh, it's uh, many years it's more yeah. than, more than a lifetime or more than 10 lifetimes probably that goes into a game like that so you know it's interesting because i was talking to one developer and he was like talking about actual game engines to me and how AAA com- companies will build the engines specific to the games they're creating and I was kind of picking his brain on why specifically a developer would do that and why not use the engines that are already available, what are the advantages and the disadvantages and his explanation was somewhat along the lines of it's not so much you know 
You're creating this engine because it can do the specific things that are required from this game. Whereas something like UE5 or Unity, they're more broad. You can use a lot of different things to get to those specific results that you're trying to get. But when you build an engine, it's geared towards exactly what you want to do. And you can just go in and specifically do it. So it's more of like an efficiency kind of factor. And I'd never really thought of it from that element. And I'm probably, you know, dumbing it down to the lowest level. But that's... I don't know. It's just something that's really fascinating to me as kind of yeah. how they approach it. Yeah. Yeah, true. It's something like if, you, if I don't know if you know the game Bannerlords, as they have their own engine as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mountain Blade, uh, I mean, Mountain Blade Bannerlords. There they have hundreds of 3D models that uh, just clash into each other, into battles. Mm-hmm. And they're really high detailed. If you would do something like that in Unity, I, I wouldn't imagine how you can get it done because there's mm-hmm. so... It, that's really... They have like a technical thing that they want to achieve and it's super mm-hmm. hard to do that in a general purpose engine. And even if you do that, then you also need to pay Unity for it. So they just mm-hmm. end, end up uh, doing it themselves. Uh, yeah. And they uh, they have the resources for it so just go for it no it's a great point and as a as an indie that's like not achievable and maybe in the 90s people still did that they maybe now even uh there are but it's so hard that you need to have so much expertise to to Mm. create an engine like that and then you still need to create your game and there are still people that do this by the way but uh i don't know how they can get it done it's really you make a great point in the 90s yeah i mean you really did a lot of people had to build their own their own engines just because they didn't have those resources available i mean developers really i always hear the story where like it was harder than ever to make a game but it made it almost easier than ever because they had fewer options and they had to create it on a more specific kind of skeleton so like the way you made games was more universally similar in the 90s as opposed to today where you have so many different engines, so many different approaches, so many different tools, and it's just this expansive, massive thing nowadays. And it's an interesting thing to think about, especially because like you had disc back then, so even how you distributed your game was completely different than it is nowadays. Yeah, true. So, yeah, then whenever, whenever something is made easier, mm-hmm. uh, then it's made easier for everyone else. So that yep. means their competition also has it easier. So in the end, uh, you you, it's still as hard or maybe even harder. Your competition is like twenty thousand times more intense than it ever used to be. So yeah, yeah. Um, and they they also have these great tools and and they have the expertise to to how to know how to use them. So the level of uh, getting into it is really high. Where in the nineties. Yeah, and it's hard to talk mm. about it like this because I wasn't in the ni- developing games in the nineties. But everyone had their own hey, thing. I was, more I was, say, I was of, learning how to walk in the nineties, so I can't tell you <laughs> yeah, much. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know. Um, all right, so kind of we briefly talked about your game a little bit. Do you want to dive into like the gameplay element of it? You know, talk about does your game have a story to it, or is it just more of that captain simulator roguelite where you try to survive as long as you can? Talk to me about that. Yeah, so the story is very lightweight. The idea is that your crew is cursed, and as they progress through this, the 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 cursed seas, uh, that mm-hmm. they don't have a, really a name, uh, they get more and more cursed uh, in trying to re- relieve their curse. So in the yeah. end, they they will fight face their final boss, and they will try to live 
the curse that they have, but in the process they will get more and more cursed. And these curses actually uh, affect the game as well. So they change how the change how the game plays in a certain way. We're still uh, defining the curse system, and it's not really mm. in the game. So right now, it's still a survival uh, uh, game where you have to make sure that your crew doesn't starve. But um, yeah, it will make it mm. to the game. It's like the roguelike element of it as well, which makes every uh, run different. And then the nice. story is really lightweight, so you you end up um, you you sail from from location to location, and you then you encounter certain dialogues that tell what is happening to the ship at that point, and yeah. that will actually play out in game as well. You, uh, I don't know, you run into another ship and then you get a text dialogue that says they're friendly, they're not friendly, or mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, and then that's how it plays out. Is it all pre, is where your ship's going pre-mapped or do you get to choose where it goes? You get to choose uh, your, your own um, uh, route towards the end. Uh, gotcha. But it's like in a graph structure. So you, you you have this graph with certain nodes that you can visit uh, and then you sail from one node to the other. You you can pick your route there, but it's still restricted mm. to, to certain points uh, that you that you pick. Was the dialogue and the story, did you choose that with like localization in mind where you're trying to think about like translating into different languages so you don't have to worry about that as much when you're in post? We, we are taking it somewhat into account, but at some point we just want to make our game and then think about that part later. So I see, yeah. We that's kind fair. of have I mean, to make decisions, fair. yeah. Because we're already having to pay attention to so many things. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if we just keep everything into account, it's just something that's not feasible for us right now. So yeah, we kind of focus on getting things done and then mm -hmm. sometimes we worry about certain details later. And that might yeah. be a bad decision, but that's just uh, how we work right now. No, with the smaller team, that, that makes sense. If you guys are taking everything into account, you're worrying about everything while you're trying to develop the game, and that kind of hinders it while you're doing that. I, I get that. With the smaller yeah. team, it completely makes sense. If we would go for multi-platform, for controller support, for uh, any language, if you do that, then you, you mm -hmm. can basically add another year of game dev time, and then yep. we'll never get it out. So, yeah, we'll have to make some hard decisions sometime. Do you have a publisher yet, or no, you don't have one? No, we don't have a publisher and we don't want to have a publisher mainly because we, we think we can distribute the game well enough and uh, we, we just like staying independent um, for as long as it's possible. Yeah. What does this game look like as we approach the end of 2023? What is your vision like right now for that? Yeah, so there are some elements. Right now our game has, is really combat oriented. And we mm -hmm. want to make it more survival oriented as well. So yep. we're currently adding um, crafting recipes. We're adding, we're adding hunger. We're adding uh, sleep that you, that mm -hmm. you need to make sure that your crew has enough. And then by the end of the year, we'll add uh, more creatures to the world, and we'll make the mm -hmm. world more interesting to explore. Um, I see. So basically, and, and then of course curses as well. That's a system that we have 
kind of set up, but we haven't really delved into it yet. And it's going to uh, add an uh, interesting twist to our game. The one thing that we had talked about, and I look at it, you know, a lot of developers, they pull a lot of talent, or they used to. They would pull composers, they would pull, you know, their coders, things of that nature, especially in Europe, from Central Europe, which is Russia. Um, and you guys... Your composer is from Russia. You had got your composer before everything had broken out, obviously, as a lot of developers did. Um, and a lot of developers, once the war did break out, they had to kind of maneuver how to best approach that situation, right? And you guys were no exception to that with your composer. So walk me through how you guys approached that, kind of how you looked at that, and just how that unfolded essentially for your team. Yeah, we had Flat, who made uh, our um, music, mm. and he was working for us. Uh, he did quite a lot of work for us already, and it's kind mm. of also—it's a big impact on our game. That music—it's yeah. really, really something that we put a lot of consideration into, and it's kind of part of the heart and soul of our game. So. Mm -hmm. We were really attached to him and he was mm -hmm. doing great work and then at some yeah. point the war broke out and we're suddenly thinking okay what should we do now the yeah. the, the way that we could pay him was no longer available he, he was on fiverr that's a big platform in the us and they cut off everyone from russia so yeah uh, he actually reached out to us uh, he said can can we still work somehow and I, I really had to think about it for a while, but yeah, on the one hand, we're just, he, he did so much great work and his work is not in any way related to the war there or the situation. So yeah. we thought, okay, let's just go ahead and find a way that we can actually work around the situation and let not, let's not let this ruin uh, our project in a sense it wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't completely ruin it but it would take you cannot just switch composers halfway it's yeah, yeah you can but you it, it's like a really tough call to make and at the same time we're just really happy with him as a person as well and mm -hmm. it he didn't ask for this situation uh and yeah. he, he has no part in it so why why uh, why cut him out uh, so mm -hmm. we just went ahead and find a way to to actually pay him and we, we're continuing work with him you know adding on to that just for me and the content creation side of things i think leading up to the war in ukraine mm -hmm. as this was last season's episodes i was in contact with a couple different russian developers trying to like get them to get on the show and talk about you know their games and things of that nature and then the war broke out in ukraine and it's unfortunate but and again they they were great guys like you know and we had some great conversations leading up to that and unfortunately twitter blocked i believe right away they blocked everybody in russia so instantly my means of contacting them was kind of gone at that point and it was interesting because I think you kind of had to take a step back when that happened because it's just, it's on it. A it's unprecedented. It's really never something, nothing like this has ever happened in, in my lifetime um, to this scale. So like I remembered when the war broke out, I, people were like posting and talking about it. And I just took like a week where I didn't do anything. I was like, you know what? I got to think about how even to maneuver this. And it, 
it i mean it's a shame because like you said there's a lot of developers and creators and musicians that are extremely talented that are have great impacts on the industry and they are just caught in a bad situation that is not of their doing and not of their support either and it's a shame it is a shame and there's nothing it's a really hard situation to maneuver i think for everybody around it who is impacted by it last year i talked to a developer in ukraine while everything was going on and i thought about asking him that question of what were his thoughts on that and i didn't and i wish i had because i think that would have been very insightful to see his take on it as well you know and you know this the opportunity is gone at this point i can't go back and ask that but Mm. it's just it's a very like i said it's a tough situation to maneuver there's a lot of nuance to that and it's a shame and like you said you know music is obviously an extremely important i think a lot of developers to be honest they don't realize until they get into it that music is so important to a game and it really impacts how that game is played and how you experience it and you're right you can't change a musician while you're halfway through your title just because that changes everything so i think you know it's a tough situation so i get that completely yeah it's really sad to see how this whole situation not only yeah how it impacts the whole world and Mm -hmm. what it does and it's just really sad to see if even uh i mean uh, what what's happening there is horrible but even outside mm. there, there there there's impact to be seen everywhere yeah. um and it's just a situation with only losers i think uh mm-hmm. no yeah. one no one is has any good from this because you're so, in central europe right yeah, I'm in the Netherlands, so yeah, yeah. it's not really, it's not really, not, yeah, for us, it's like still pretty far away, uh, but it's close, it clo- yeah, it's somewhat close, closer than, mm-hmm. than to the US, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for, for me, it's it's an ocean away, but you see it yeah, everywhere on social, no. so you can't really get away from it, right? Yeah, true, and it's, mm-hmm. it also impacts the US, it impacts the whole world, yeah economically to a degree yeah but obviously i mean from the the tangible things like you know it doesn't impact us as much as you guys like immigration things like that uh refugees things like that like it it doesn't really impact us in that way yeah but but, uh, i i still it uh it it doesn't impact us as much as it does the people there that that actually after lives changed so yeah. yeah it's kind of relative as well i mean i yeah. can still live my life comfortably here and uh, it, it, yeah that's that's for some people their lives are completely changed that's just horrible to see um yeah. but yeah well since we're ending on a happy note um, yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, outside of that, is there, you know, we talked about your game, we talked about the different modding aspects of the industry. That's an interesting question, actually. When you create this game, do you in the back of your mind think, like, is somebody going to mod this game someday? Is the Cursed Crew going to get all kinds of mods? Like, is that something you think about while you're making it or no? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it actually is. Okay. something we're, we're taking into consideration uh, when designing everything. So uh, the system I talked earlier about with um, that 
make sure that you can define objects and stuff like that that's mm. um made in with mothers into consideration and I so our developer uh smash phil uh his nickname uh, is that uh he were he, he's also a mother and he really put a lot of effort into making sure it, uh, it will be, at some point be moddable very well i think the first version of our game won't have modding support uh, directly yet because it's still uh, even if you take it into account when designing everything it's still a big effort to make actually sure that people can download it on Steam and um, mm-hmm. that you have everything covered well uh, so that's still difficult but I yeah see. we're definitely taking it into account and we think it's a great opportunity for any game developer to do this it's difficult to make to make sure that your game is accessible to mothers because it's yet another element that you have to take into account yeah, throughout yeah. development but i th- we think that's one of the things that's really worth it uh, to invest into yeah 